Hi, you're listening to Humans of Law. I'm Mary Bonser, CEO of Flex Legal. On this episode, I'm joined by Maeve Story, Head of Crowd Justice, a platform to crowdfund litigation cases. Crowd Justice is up to incredible things, and we discuss providing access to justice and how people can give back by supporting and funding esteemed cases. Hi, Maeve. Thank you so much for joining us for our podcast of Humans of Law. It is so great to have you and um, it would be really fantastic if you could just give us a quick introduction to yourself. Yeah. Hi. Thank you so much for inviting me, Mary. Really excited to be here. So, yeah, my name's Maeve and I head up the team at Crowd Justice. We're the UK's crowdfunding platform for legal action. Um, so I'll tell you a bit about Crowd Justice if that's all right. We, we started in 2015 founded by a lawyer called Julia Salaski, who noticed that, yeah, there's actually quite a big gap uh, between having legal rights and actually being able to access them. So we all have them, but can we actually use them? And I think unfortunately, because of the funding barriers, the answer to that question is often actually no. So we do sort of end up seeing a two-tier system for those who can afford to access the law and for those who can't. So yeah, that's sort of how Crowd Justice came to be. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> what a cool idea. Do you know how, how she came up with it or how she got her inspiration? Was there a moment where she saw something and thought that's very unfair or had she been mulling it over for years and years? I think Judy is just somebody she's, um, you know, she worked at Lintlaters and then she went to work at the UN. I know she had kind of done a stint in like a legal aid clinic and I think she just saw um, the fact that those barriers are really there and that, you know, there was a new and kind of innovative way that, that she could um, help people to access those. Absolutely. It's so amazing. And it's such an amazing story of how she's using law for the good. And can you just tell me a little bit about um, how crowd justice works? Yeah, so I kind of I like to describe the legal matters funded on crowd justice as people powered legal action. Um, so uh, there's a quite a famous QC called Matthew Ryder, who you might know. I really liked a couple of years ago, he tweeted about crowd justice and he was saying like, you know, beneath the headlines of many significant cases is crowd justice. And he described it as where ordinary people help fund litigation. Um, and it's exactly that, you know, you do see a lot of crowd justice cases in the national press. So um, can be things of public interest, about Brexit, about the NHS, or as you can probably imagine in the last 12 months about COVID. <laughs> we didn't know we have um, litigation surrounding that uh, a year ago. And I suppose, so in effect, it's, it's funding by ordinary people for cases which otherwise wouldn't have been able to be brought. Exactly, yeah. So um, I think since we were founded in 2015, we've had about 600,000 backers. Um, And actually, to me, that's like the most exciting number. Um, So, you know, we've had sort of over 20 million pounds raised on the platform, over a thousand legal matters. But the number of backers means the most to me, because to me, that says, you know, it's over half a million people have come together. They've made a small donation. So the average donation size is is 35 pounds. And, you know, they've made a donation to legal action as kind of a tangible way of affecting change. Um, totally and it must be amazing because you know quite often people give to charity but you never really see where that money goes whereas this it's so tangible because I suppose you can see the case go from start to finish so you can really see that your money has had a real impact which I love exactly and you know we always encourage um, so the people who have the cases on credit justice we call them the case owners and we always encourage the case owners to keep the backers up to date so you know they can post 
um, updates on their crowdfunding page and they can email their backers. And, you know, people love to find out what the outcomes of the case were and whether it's win or lose, it's also still about raising awareness. Um, and I think that's one quite nice thing about crowdfunding for illegal is I do think, you know, when you have a legal issue, obviously it can be quite stressful. And, you know, especially in some of these sort of public law cases where the case owner is the person lifting their head above the parapet and maybe they're speaking out about injustice or it's based on, you know, something that's happened to them. I think that can be quite a lonely position to be in. Totally. And so I think, you know, getting this community of people online who support you and they're dropping in donations. And, you know, remember sort of the average donation size is £35. This isn't about big money coming behind causes. This is about lots and lots of small donations and communities coming together to support each other. Totally. And do um, does anyone ever try and put a case on crowd justice to see if they think it's got legs? You know, it, how far along do people have to be in terms of their case? Yeah. So no, we, we get we see cases at the very very early stages. So sometimes um, you know the lawyers have said that they will take the case once uh, the initial amount is raised. So maybe sometimes people are raising you know an initial kind of few thousand pounds to get the case up and running um, mm. and often the way it's done is raising in stages so you can set two targets on crowd justice um, the initial target and the stretch target because we know that you know um, legal action often kind of there's a process it's not all done at once so you know you send your pre-action letter and then you you know if you're going to judicial review you find out if your hearing's been granted and so they raise money kind of each stage of the case. I see it's so cool it's such a brilliant idea and I just I absolutely love it and I suppose I'm moving on to a bit of a broader topic why why did you want to work for a company with a purpose like crowd justice and do you think purpose is becoming more important when people are looking for roles? Yeah I mean I think it probably sounds incredibly cheesy but I wanted to do something that could have an impact I think I was sort of bit tired of working for companies that either I suppose weren't actively doing good or in some cases if I'm honest were potentially doing harm. I did a, a brief stint at around infamous tabloid in my early days which I'm not um, particularly don't have on my CV not particularly proud of and I did also um, I have a background in sort of startup operations and I did work for a few companies in, involved in the gig economy and for me this is my personal opinion um, I have some issues with kind of how gig economy classifies workers, so I found that a little bit difficult. And I think I, I just wanted change. Um, and I was super impressed by our founder, Julia, and her kind of commitment to making change in the legal system. And also, I thought, you know, trying to tackle the legal system, which is, you know, known to be archaic and inaccessible, I thought that was very bold of her as well. Um, yeah. And I certainly wanted to be involved in it. And yeah, I, I, I do think that purpose is becoming more important for people in their work um, you can see that I don't know if you're aware of, you know there's websites like a lot of people know kind of the job websites like indeed and things like that but there's also ones called you know escape the city which are for yeah. people looking for um, social impact roles and even stuff you know in like uh, companies that have a green element to them I think are, are being more and more popular now as well Definitely. And do you think that's a, a generation thing? Do you think millennials care more about purpose? Because often, especially with careers in law, I speak to a lot of law students who are now saying, actually, it's not all about money. And it's more about feeling that they're doing something good and corporate social responsibility. And I, I really hope there is a kind of shift because I, I think that it's, it's so important to work for a company where you really believe in their purpose. A hundred percent. I think, it, you know, it makes the workday much more fun and, nice <laughs> yeah. and more enjoyable if you really believe in kind of the mission and vision of what you're doing and 
I think it certainly is generational. I mean, I always joke because I don't think my parents really understand what prejudice does. <laughs> I spoke recently at a seminar with his sisters called Russell Cook, and we were talking about um, challenging uh, challenging public bodies and using using judicial review. And I actually, for the first time, I told my parents, why don't you join and see what we actually do? Um, so I think they enjoyed it. But um, yeah, certainly I think the days where you know, you only had to be a kind of like a set profession or gone. And I do think people aren't as, you know, driven just by money anymore. Um, and especially younger people now, I think millennials, I'm not so sure about, but I have a lot of faith for Gen Z. <laughs> who are the definitely. Ones who are <laughs> They're definitely not snowflakes or you replace a lot of paralegals. And I, I hate, I hate it when people say, are oh, they snowflakes? Because they're actually really not. They're more committed than, than, than a lot of more senior people. And at the moment, what are your thoughts on, do, do you think there is good access to justice in this current climate with the ability to fundraise? I think unfortunately, I mean, the short answer to that is no. I I really don't think there is, um, and it's been it's been like that for quite a long time, which is which is what's really sad. And I remember in in 2019, Lord, Lord Neuberger. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name right. He's a former <laughs> president of uh, the UK Supreme Court. I remember hearing him talk on Radio Four, and he was talking about cuts to cuts to public funding. And um, I think the quote that he used was like that people simply give up uh, if they don't get legal aid. And that's like a really sorry state of affairs. And, you know, he also said that sort of, you know, law is coming seriously under threat because of this. And yet that was in 2019, you know, now we're in 2021. And I saw just three weeks ago, there was a really brilliant um, opinion piece in The Guardian from Dominic Grieve, who's a former attorney general. Mm -hmm. Uh, And his words were like, the justice system is crumbling. Um, You know, he was that extreme about it. Wow. And yeah, so I think, you know, he was pointing towards sort of after the 2008 financial crisis, you know, how much the budget's been slashed. And I think the stat he gave was like the overall spending um, from 2010 over 10 years was about 25% um, on justice. So that's, you know, that's got a huge human cost and human implication for people that need access to the legal system. Totally. And I wonder what the impact of COVID has had on that as well. I mean, A, they probably need, there's a lot more people who want to raise money to bring claims, which hopefully crowd justice is seeing, but B, I imagine lots of you know lots of cases were kicked into the grass so i wonder if there's a whole backlog of all these cases and people waiting for their justice to be you know their cases to be heard um yeah i i would imagine so and i think that's one thing that is really hard because the the system is so overworked you know it's creaking with the amount of people that need to go through it and covid's obviously caused delays and you know we see that you know we've seen campaigns on the platform that have been raising funds since like 2017 you know they're really? going on and it's five you know five years later and lots of people who are still waiting for their day in court you know and that their campaign ended a couple of years ago so i think i can only imagine that the backlog is is even worse now yeah i watched um over the weekend the post office case which tears to my eyes just how people who were wrongly convicted were it's taken so long for them to get justice and I wonder if they'd raised money in other ways whether it would have been um, whether they could have moved it along quicker Um, but it was it it really upset me actually when I saw you know people it shows it shows the problems with our system I think yeah I think that one was really shocking we had a couple of campaigns about that on crowd justice a couple of different groups of postmasters one group they raised like 100 grand on crowd justice and another group kind of raised I think around 10 grand oh wow various cases so yeah it was it's one that I actually hadn't heard about until they got in touch with us um and it is yeah it's 
you kind of see the, the devastation that it caused to, to so many of their lives. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that they have had a, a good day in court at least now. Definitely, and it must feel so good working for a company like, like that and when, when you can really see the impact it has on people and the fact that they then get justice, it must, it must give you the biggest kick. <laughs> Yeah, it really does. And I think like, you know, there are, there's always kind of cases that stand out, like all, you know, the, the array of cases and the different types of practice areas are, are huge, really. It's not, I think mostly what people see in the press, you know, are the big public interest ones. But for kind of every one of those, you know, we've got smaller ones about, you know, somebody applying for leave to remain, you know, immigration cases or employment matters or communities coming together to save green space. and. You know, it's great to, to see the results of them. And even, I think, win or lose, um, even, you know, even if they technically lose in court, I do still think people being able to feel that they've had their say and, you know, they've been able to actually, you know, go to court and have some level of justice in that they've had their story told, I think is still important. Definitely. And, and, and that brings me on to tell, tell us a few of your best and most successful campaigns. Yeah, I think one that's always stuck with me and actually, um, again, there was, I think maybe it was yesterday, the day before it was in the paper again, um, you might have heard about it, there's a really incredible woman called Rosamond Kissy Deborah, um, and she's the mother of um, a little girl who really tragically passed away uh, in 2013 and her daughter Ella was nine and she died from an asthma attack and Rosamond was just sure that this was caused by the air pollution in their neighbourhood in South London um, and she just you know, I, I'm always amazed by people who've suffered from like, this really great trauma and loss and they're able to kind of galvanize that into campaign work. Mm. Um, so yeah, Ella's death, it was it was subject to an inquest, I think in 2014 originally. Um, and it was said that, you know, her death was caused by an asthma attack and they didn't in any way kind of investigate air pollution. So Rosamond worked for a number of years with a really great lawyer called Justin Cockburn and they spent a long time campaigning for a new inquest and gathering evidence about you know pollution levels around where Ella lived. Um, they lived um, in Lewisham in South London and yeah they got like lots of you know really shocking statistics about how much the um, the, the air pollution and traffic on that road had like exceeded annual limits. Wow. And it was only last year, I think it was December, they had their um, new inquest in the Southern Coroner's Court. And yeah, they ruled that actually it was dangerous levels of air pollution that contributed to Ella's death. And actually it's, it's a massive landmark case because it's the first person in the UK and possibly the world um, to have air pollution exposure listed as, as a cause of death. Wow. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. So really, I'm just, again, just incredibly amazed by like Rosamond and how she was able to you know, deal with, you know, the loss of her daughter, which is incredibly sad, and we channel that into trying to make the world better for other young people and other little girls who, who live in her area or, you know, all around the UK. And so because of this um, ruling, you know, they're calling for the government to take further action on air pollution. And, you know, they want them to create like an Ella's law, which, you know, would kind of hold the government to legally binding um, targets with regards to air pollution. So, yeah, I think stories like that are definitely sort of why I love working at Crowd Justice, I have to say. Yeah, I can imagine. And, do you, I, and I imagine when people are raising funds, it's often, it is often very emotional for, because it's for topics like that, which is so close to them. Do you, do you often have to deal with the clients who are fairly emotional and kind of listen to their stories and have those interactions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and it's like, it's a privilege to be able to meet people who, you know, want to affect change. And it's really sad that a lot of, you know, 
people have had to experience such trauma and again I'm just kind of amazed by my people's resilience and sort of yeah. in the face of adversity um it definitely yeah it gives me kind of hope that there are people out there you know really fighting the good fight definitely definitely is that you're so right it's it's inspiring and so incredibly brave and strong of people to turn their trauma into something for good um it's it's really amazing and um what is your prediction for funding over the next five years? Have you seen any trends since you started Crowd Justice and can you predict any trends for the future? So I think, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, in, in the kind of pre-COVID world, you know, kind of two thirds of people who needed access to legal services couldn't get them. And as we kind of said, I can only imagine that in the post-COVID world, which hopefully is coming relatively soon. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, hopefully those numbers are kind of only gonna, um, I mean, yeah, Unfortunately, I think those numbers are only going to rise. So when it sort of comes to legal aid or kind of public funding, given the sort of current administration, I don't really see anything improving there. Um, but I do think in the meantime, you know, people are looking at more innovative ways to increase access to justice, even if it's not surrounding funding. And I do think like tech is a big way that that's happening. Um, and you know, the legal industry is sort of slowly beginning to recognize the need to, to democratize, democratize its services. Um, even kind of silly examples like you know chatbot tools are being used mm. um, in law tech I remember a couple of years ago there was a chatbot tool called do not pay which like helps people yeah. find parking tickets which is kind of like a, a small example but you know there's also companies you know building tools to um, help people handle you know like divorce proceedings which are certainly far more expensive and complicated than they should be considering you know it's a common legal problem that people have um, so it's not something that I'm an expert in but yeah I'd definitely be sort of interested to see how technology is going to impact access to justice over the coming years and I guess yeah I mean sort of at Flex I'm sure you probably have more opinions on that you're making it easier for people to to find lawyers. Yeah I do I, I totally agree with you actually and I think tech is going to play such an important role and, and the examples you've given are, are great ones to show kind of more access to justice and it actually interestingly the SRA changes of how we are um, allowing more people to qualify by the SQE mm -hmm. route. Hopefully will mean that there are more lawyers, so more consumers use lawyers for their everyday um, legal issues. Because I think there's a terrifying statistic where it's something like 68% of people who have legal claim, legal issues don't go to a lawyer, <laughs> which yeah. is awful really, when you know there's a whole profession there ready to help. And so I really hope that the kind of SRA changes and, and the way to qualify does increase more lawyers and, and hopefully that has an impact on on access to justice too. Yeah, certainly. And I, I think, um, I mean, yeah, again, not kind of in the funding, but in kind of opening up justice, I do think there's, there was a profile about this in The Times a couple of weeks ago. I think one trend that we have seen, although I know um, it's been used in kind of a derogatory term, the, the idea of like campaigning lawyers and activist lawyers, but I, I'm saying it in a, in a positive light. I think we're seeing more of that and you know at Crow Justice we're working with people like the Good Law Project mm. and like Foxglove and you know we've got people like Tim Crossland at Plan B who's like an environmental activist lawyer um, so I do think we'll hopefully be seeing like more of those type of cases coming up in the next few years. Definitely, definitely, definitely I think, and, and, and that probably comes back down to what, what people care about now and giving a voice to issues where potentially they couldn't have a voice previously. Um, which is which is fantastic and I suppose the final very important question is do you have any favorite law themed films or tv shows <laughs> um I was gonna joke and say Legally Blonde but no 
I'm kidding. Um, I was trying to think about this. I think one that stands out to me that I saw as a teenager was Philadelphia, you know, with Tom Hanks that he won the Oscar for. And he's a lawyer who loses his job for being gay. And it's obviously very, it's really tragic. He's, you know, he's dying from AIDS and it was a very raw, raw portrayal. Although I'm not, um, I'm not sure, I haven't seen it recently, so I don't know how well it stands up to the kind of 2021 lens. And, you know, I'm a gay person myself, and I'd now say, obviously, you know, we have to have gay actors to play gay characters, but that's like a whole um, different podcast. But yeah, I think it was probably the first film that I watched that actually showed sort of what happens in the courtroom and how the case is constructed. I've never seen that. That sounds, I, I'm going to, I'm going to. Oh, yeah, yeah. You won an Oscar for it. Yeah, it is. It's, it's incredibly sad. Definitely have the tissues at the ready. <laughs> While you're watching it, but yeah, I, I should watch it again. And then um, I do also think, obviously, it's sort of like the Netflix age of of documentary, and we're getting more and more documentaries about the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Thirteenth is a really well made and also very anger inducing one about the criminal justice system and racial inequality in America, um, which I recommend. And I also saw a good um, documentary on Channel Four called Crime and Punishment. Um, which is about the UK criminal justice system and one of the episodes it's focused on IPP sentences um, which I'm not okay. heard of it's imprisonment for public protection and it's basically um, indefinite sentences that people have been given um, and are in jail for like a really long time and, and, and not being released and kind of really unable to to get their sentence ended and we actually had a case on crowd justice with um, really sadly a young woman who died on an IPP IPP sentence called Charlie Noakes and her family were um, raising funds for representation at her inquest. Um, How far did they get? So they, they had the inquest last year and unfortunately I don't think that they got the answers that they wanted to for, for how, how Charlie died in prison. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, their documentaries like this show these sort of really, um, yeah, just really sad stories about how, you know, we do handle people in prisons and you know how how it could be improved yeah it's 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 almost it's always a bit terrifying i think the more and you probably know a lot more than a lot of people but the more you know about access to justice it probably kind of worries you more and more if that makes sense that you suddenly realize how hard it is to have access whether it's before a case during a case post a case yeah it's um it's something we really all need to be aware of i think and be working towards improving yeah definitely i think like one of the a case on crowd justice that's kind of like really stood out for me in that respect about kind of showing me systems that really deeply need to change and it's one that actually didn't win but i think the um the awareness that it's raised has been a massive win you might have seen it it's um a charity called the end violence against women coalition and they were Mm -hmm. represented by this amazing group of lawyers from center for women's justice um, really recommend to look at both those organisations because they do incredible work. And yeah, their case is basically tra- challenging the drop in uh, rape and sexual violence prosecutions by the CPS in England and Wales. Um, they were calling it like the effective sort of decriminalisation of rape because the statistics are they're, they're really really shocking. Um, so there's been like a really significant increase in the number of rapes reported, but then the number of prosecutions has rapidly dropped. Wow. Does it make you more political when you when you hear and see all these cases? I mean, I'm quite a political person. <laughs> um, I think one thing that's quite nice about crowd justice is we don't, as an organisation, take a political stance. Like, we have cases mm. platform from all um, ends of the kind of political spectrum um, because we do believe in, 
access to justice for everybody. And it's not about who you vote for. It's about, you know, if you have a legal case, mm -hmm. being able to take that forward. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming and speaking to us. I have learned so much more about crowd justice and, and actually access to justice. And I wish you and the team at Crowd Justice all the best. You're doing such an amazing thing um, and, it, and, it, and it's so impressive. And I hope it goes from strength to strength. Oh, thank you, Mary. I really appreciate that. Humans of Law is a podcast produced by Flex Legal, an award-winning digital platform that connects interim lawyers and paralegals to the clients that need their support. Learn more at flex.legal. Thanks for listening.